This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 221. I got to hang out with someone who I have loved following over on Instagram, my friend Wes Chernin. Wes is a gem of a human and we, I've learned so much from him and it was such an honor to get to hang out with him and I felt like I got to really show up here as a parent and ask questions and learn from him and be vulnerable and real because I don't know about you, but the way that we address gender and talk about it with kids and see it is different than the way that I was raised and what I know culturally. And so it's a learning curve for me. I'm forever learning on this journey and feel so grateful to get to have people to be in community with, to learn with, to grow with. Uh, And I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, hello, everybody. Today, we get to hang out with someone that I have followed personally on Instagram for a while now and have such deep respect for and haven't yet had the opportunity to have a conversation with. So I'm so jazzed to get to hang out with you today, Wes. Hi. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very jazzed to be here, too. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love the jazz. Yeah, I followed you for a while and I want you to introduce yourself, but I have known you as an SLP first was how I found you and have found your resources and support on gender affirming identity and transgender community really helpful in my, for myself professionally and how I can best show up as a teacher, as an educator, uh, and now as a parent. And that's what I want to dive into today. But can you tell folks a little bit about your background, who you are, and what brings you here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name is Wes Chernin, and my pronouns are he, him. Um, As you mentioned, I am an SLP, speech-language pathologist. Um, That's my background. That's what my graduate degree is in. Um, I worked for, when I, when I, Um, left grad school. I worked for six years in early intervention, early childhood, special education as an SLP. And I was hopping around to all these different preschools and childcare centers and families' homes and getting to work with kids and families in that way, which was really great. And, And on the side, I was also doing this consulting work and facilitating workshops on queer and trans equity and belonging. Um, I am transgender. um, I'm queer. Those are two um, labels that I 
pretty strongly identify with at this point in my life. Um, so uh, about a year and a half ago, I I left working full time in education, which was a really hard decision to make. I, I miss it all the time, but I, I kind of shifted into leaning more into this consulting and workshop and facilitating role to reach more students and families on a broader scale for that um, gender affirming language and lifestyle. So aside from aside from my work, I, I'm also a partner and a dog dad, um, <laughs> which I find a lot of pride in. My partner and I are beginning our journey to um, hopefully becoming parents of our own. Another thing I often bring up when introducing myself, um, especially to, to a new audience, is that I'm hard of hearing. So I wear hearing aids, which has been a great help to me. It's amazing. I, I didn't start wearing them until I was in my early 30s. I'm in my mid-30s now. And so that that has been a journey and an evolution and and aside from that, I'm, you know, I'm just someone who who <laughs> strongly loves being a homebody and resonates with that and and almost equally loves like traveling and being out in the world. So I, I try to find that balance. That resonates with me. I was just saying just this morning, I was at a virtual coffee date with a friend. And I said, I've gotten so good at being at home and I love it. And I'm so cozy and almost find myself like refusing to put plans on the calendar that involve me not being at home. And then once I'm out, like love it and miss in-person connection. But it's for me, there's like a barrier to entry there. Of like I have to just, I have to put on real pants and, you know actually step out of the house. And in Vermont right now in the winter, it's so hard for me to do that. So that resonates. Uh, I also just want to plug for later at some point a conversation with you. I think it's interesting, the heart of hearing in the SLP connection, that connection and how those have, how that has informed your work as an SLP and how they connect and just a little flag for later. But one of the things that I think is so interesting and that I think a lot of parents are curious about is what it looks like to support children in their gender identity from a young age that a, I think we find this in early childhood across the board of the like, what are they capable of and when? And I, somebody was just sharing a story the other day about going into the grocery store with her child and it had been a complete S storm and uh, they had like these full meltdowns and she was like, what could I do differently next time? How can I like help make this maybe an easier experience? And we were talking about the value of pre-teaching and she was like, well, he's only 18 months. Like, I don't know how much he'll even get. And uh, we were talking about erring on the side of like, they understand and they understand so much more than they can say and communicate with words to us. And just the value of that. And, and that comes up for me here around gender identity. And I'm curious to learn from you about what we can do as parents, as teachers, as caregivers to support children in who they are um, with as little influence from us as possible. Yeah, you bring up such good points there. I it resonates with me so much the the power of pre-teaching and how much our little ones, you know, from infancy and being babies like are understanding and and grasping onto concepts and I think one of the one of the first things that comes to mind for me is doing some kind of self-reflection, right, that we most of us anyway, vast majority of us were taught that gender is really black and white. It's very binary. There are boys and girls. It's based on your body. That's just how it is. And we're taught that from a very, very, very young age, starting in infancy. And we're taught that because it's so black and white, that we can look at someone and we can just know what their gender is, what words we should use about them. And I think one of the key things that we can teach little ones is that 
we can't always know what someone's gender is or what someone's words are by looking at them. We can ask, but we can't always know just by looking. Um, there's there's lots of research out there showing that from, you know, I think it's like when when a baby is around 12 months old, they're already starting to categorize people by gender. And when they're two, they're already um, like recognizing gender stereotypes. And they're also sometimes able to communicate if if there is a misalignment between the gender that they've been assigned and their own sense of gender, their own gender identity. And And by four, they've like really, really absorbed these gender stereotypes that are just all around them all the time, built into our language and messaging that that unless we've done a lot of reflection and digging, we might not even realize that messaging that we're that we're giving our little ones. Um, And so that's why it can be so powerful to to even though we need to do a lot of unlearning and reteach ourselves, it's this opportunity to start start from the beginning with them, like break down those gender expectations and gender stereotypes to allow space for all different genders to exist. I love that. And I find like that's my greatest work here personally is we had a family photographer come over and take our pictures uh, recently. And I assumed gender based off of their name. And then I was like halfway into the shoot and I realized I'd been, I had used pronouns right from the jump and was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I never even, like it never came up for me to ask. Uh, It was just it's so ingrained. It's so ingrained from such a young age. And I find the hardest part of, for me in doing this work is that rewriting. It's the discomfort of it isn't black and white. Black and white feels so comfortable when I can categorize, when I can put something into a box and I can say like, okay, the name Sarah goes here when I can, you know, like uh, that is comfortable. And it's, I think it takes practice, at least for me, it takes practice to be in the discomfort of the unknown that I don't just know. I can't just categorize and how uncomfortable that feels when you can't categorize and how to communicate that to kids that, yeah, we don't know and that it's okay to not know and the discomfort that might come up for them in the unknown. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns and it came in the mail and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. 
The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Voices. I think that's that's so important to just validate and honor, right? It It can feel really uncomfortable for some people to not be able to just look at someone and categorize them and... And that's why, you know, when there was a, there was a point. In, so most people listening to this, you know, cannot see what I look like, but I present um, in a way that everybody reads me as a man, oftentimes as a cisgender man, meaning they assume that I was assigned male at birth. I have a beard. I have, I wear stereotypical men's clothing, etc. There was a time in my life where people looked at me and couldn't categorize me because I hadn't started my transition yet or I was early on in my transition, but I was still presenting in similar ways, meaning that I had a short haircut and that I was wearing stereotypical men's clothing, but my body and my voice had people reading me sometimes as a woman, sometimes as a man, sometimes not sure. And that I I could, I could feel that, you know, sense of people feeling uncomfortable about that, or like, not sure where to place me. There's this, like, there's this need to, to neatly place people and things in categories. Right. And I think part of that, or a large part of that, when it comes to gender stems from the gender binary, which which, you know, is just this idea that we've already been talking about, this idea that there are only two genders and that everyone has to be one or the other and that a person's gender that you're assigned at birth dictates their their gender identity, their gender for the rest of their life and what they should look like, how they should dress, how they should act, what types of relationships they should be in all of that is coming from there and so i think it's so important to to re- just recognize that piece of like wow this might make me uncomfortable a little bit that's okay and maybe there's some unpacking to do there a hundred percent you know we talk a lot at seed about how like self-control requires tools for self-regulation which requires self-awareness And you can't regulate what you're not aware of and then act with intention. And so for me, it really has begun with the the awareness piece, like, oh, there's discomfort there for me in the unknown, not in the result, but in the unknown. Mm -hmm. And how do I, what do I do from that, from that point of awareness? And then, and then going down that path of acknowledging and validating that part of me that grew up in certain societal norms in a certain culture and and then going through the work but that yeah that kickstart for me has been just the awareness of that discomfort of not being able to categorize because when we can categorize for me it brings a feeling of safety and control right like okay I understand this and so I feel safe and in control perceived controls <laughs> man <laughs> my brain would love it would love <laughs> so much more but um and so that for me, and and I was thinking as you were chatting about how, you know, you said it starts in infancy and a couple of things came up for me. One, I, I was at the airport and Sage was, I mean, even the name Sage, folks don't know what to do with. Uh, my tiny human's name is Sage. And 
he was about one ish and we were running around the airport. He was running around and this person stopped and talked about how cute she is and all that. And I like felt this in my body of like, do I correct her? And then I was like, do I know the answer? Like I had a whole internal dialogue. of like, she's assigning gender. I've assigned a different gender to him from birth. He is mine also a guess, right? Like I had this whole, like, it was like a light bulb moment for me of like, maybe she's not wrong. And, but we have given him this identity from birth and just how then like ingrained it has become for me. And I was like, and I realized in that moment that if I were to be the parent of a transgender human, it would then be a shift for me too, around like, oh, I have assigned something that's a guess. It's a guess and have made it our reality, right? And our like family shared reality. And it was just that light bulb for me of like, oh, oh, wow, it's a guess. <laughs> and I don't know if like that might resonate with other parents who have maybe navigated similar things, or maybe you've assigned your child a gender and somebody's you know, you've been in public and you have said like, oh, he's a boy, you know? And yeah, what I'm really saying is like, here's the sex of my child. Uh, and that acknowledgement for me was like, oh, light bulb moment. Um, and then another thing came up where I had a parent recently who was <laughs> picking her child up at childcare and was like, hi, can I ask you a quick question? My child was in public the other day and was chatting and saying, was assigning gender to someone or was saying like, is that a boy or a girl? And she was like, I didn't know how to answer. Like, I don't know the answer, but uh, she was like, there was someone who had on a skirt um, but also had facial hair and the child was like, I, the child wanted to categorize, right? And was like, I don't know which category in the binary sense to put this human into. And I also had no idea how in the general public to <laughs> audibly respond to my three-year-old in the moment in a way that would help the three-year-old and be supportive. And that's what I'm interested in, like really also going into here, like what are some scripts that we can say and some things for those of us that didn't grow up hearing those scripts? Uh, a lot of this feels new of like, what do I say in that moment when my kid does want to categorize and we're in public at the grocery store or whatever? Yeah, I think that starting from a place of, of just teaching that new rule, right? The old rule is hey, we can look at someone with long hair and a purple shirt and know that that's a girl and say she, and we can look at someone with short hair who's wearing basketball shorts and say, he, boy. That's the old rule. Shifting to this new rule of, hey, we, we can't know what someone's gender or words are by looking at them. So we can ask. If it's appropriate, if it's a, if it's an sure. appropriate ask, you know, it, it's not always going to be. And so I think that's where um, more gender inclusive language comes in using singular they them that, you know, they them is a pronoun set that some non-binary folks use as their set of pronouns. It's also a pronoun set that we can use about any single person whose pronouns we don't yet know. So. If I were, you know, if a little kid were to have asked me that question about seeing this person with wearing a skirt and having facial hair, you know, is that a boy or a girl? You know, I might say something like, I'm not really sure. I see that they're wearing a skirt. I see that they have facial hair and long hair. And I know people of all genders can can have that type of hair. And I know people of all genders can like wearing skirts. So I'm not really sure. We can't really know unless they tell us. And we can still talk about them because we have this word, they. <laughs> we, we don't need to avoid talking about them and it doesn't need to be taboo either. It doesn't, it, it, it shouldn't be, it can't be, it can't continue to be this thing that we feel scared to talk about because it's not disrespectful to acknowledge gender diversity. It's just 
reality. Like there are diverse genders in, in this world and in our community and in the worlds that our children are entering into. More and more folks in younger generations are starting to come out as transgender or non-binary or gender expansive. And so by us starting to practice using gender inclusive language or just acknowledging this new rule that we can't always look and know, it's going to prepare our young ones for being respectful and interacting with their peers and their teachers and their future colleagues, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I find that script so helpful in the addition of, and we can still talk about them. And here's the word that we can use in talking about them, gives us that permission. I love using language and communication with intention. Love it. Here for it. And it's sometimes scary. The idea of making a mistake, especially making a mistake that would hurt somebody or would be harmful. I understand that fear that resonates with me, like, because it then intention doesn't match impact. Right. And it is hard to move away from what felt like taboo in maybe our childhood or in cultures we grew up in to say like, that's no longer taboo. And here's how we talk about it. And for me, it takes like practice in spaces that feel cozy, right? Like practicing in small ways where I feel safe to make mistakes and yeah, drop the ball, say the wrong thing. Like the scariest thing for me right now would be like, I'm going to announce something on Instagram that I've never practiced how to say to 300,000 people or whatever, like that, um, buckle up for some DMs, like, because it is like intention versus impact. And I, I feel that lack of control in parenthood of like, oh yeah, now it's not just what I say. It's that this tiny human who's trying to figure out the world might say something that could be harmful or hurt someone in public. And I'm not in control of that either. Like every time I find out I'm not in control of something, Wes, it really rocks my world. You think I'd learn at some point I'm in control of almost nothing, but my brain keeps really trying. And so it's that fear for, for me comes up of like, I, oh my God, like, please child, don't one of our CT members was just sharing the other day about her um, child in a coffee shop who was yelling about someone who was fat and was like using the word fat. And she was like, I was mortified. And I just wanted to get so small and invisible because I've been taught that that's not a word I'm supposed to use. And I didn't have the right language at my fingertips to respond in a way that could like support the human who's listening to this and she's like I wanted to respond to my kid and I also wanted to like comfort this other human and so I think that's part of the fear for me is like not just me making mistakes but as my kid is publicly learning how to have these discussions um how to hold, how to make space for that in a way that I don't know mm-hmm. protects other people mm-hmm. yeah that is tricky and nuanced and there it's such a common feeling or fear you know to to just fear of getting it wrong mm-hmm. always wanting to get it right wanting your actions to align with your intent right so that the impact is positive i get that i feel that too I think that there is something I love that you said uh, that you you like you want to practice somewhere where you feel cozy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that way of saying it and that wording. And I think it's important to be having these conversations and these they could be practice practice sessions, practice dialogue, just practicing the language and the the way it feels so new and unfamiliar to you with in a space with people that you feel cozy with. I think it can be sometimes a misconception that trans and non-binary folks just, just get this and understand this right away. 
or forever they have, we have. And that's not the case at all. You know, I, when I started exploring my gender identity in, in like a conscious way, I was in my early 20s. And so I had 20 plus years of absorbing and learning all of the same messaging that most of you all have also been learning and absorbing around the gender binary and these expectations. And I had to do a lot, a lot of self-reflection and unpacking and digging in order to be able to access and learn what my true relationship to gender is. And I had to do a lot of practicing. And I found, for me, I found my queer community to do that practice with. Currently, I I still make mistakes. I will misgender people sometimes. The other day I was talking to my partner, we were on a walk and I was talking about a musician that I really like. And I kept using the wrong pronouns. I was, I was saying, oh, he's doing a show here. And I saw him once many years ago, you know? And then I, I paused in the middle of our conversation. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm misgendering them. And then I just went ahead and I reset what I was saying. I continued on with the conversation, being very intentional about using they, them pronouns. And I think that that is something that doesn't need to feel like a shaming or shameful experience. And it can really feel more like what I want it to feel like to people is this like recommitment to seeing someone to being in community with people and to just getting back on track to to learning about who they are and listening to them and these mistakes using the wrong words that's going to happen it's going to continue to happen it's going to get a lot easier and more comfortable but it's still going to happen and it it's okay. I think it's about the the response and the repair. And it makes me think a little bit back to what you were saying earlier about how, you know, you have given your child this identity, right? You have, it, it maybe it's a guess, maybe someone who used she pronouns, oh, that's also a guess. We don't know. Um, it it goes back to like getting us to this place where it's okay that that we are continuing to assign gender to babies when they're born that it's not something that i'm advocating to get rid of right but what we can do is from the time our children are babies or starting now, however old they are, is bringing up this awareness and using this language that humanizes and normalizes different gendered experiences so that if your child or your child's friend or their cousin gets to a point in their life where they are like, hey, wait a second, this gender that I've been assigned it doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit me. It's not actually who I am. They know that A, that exists. Other people like them exist. Other people like them can thrive and be joyful and happy. And that hopefully that you are someone they feel safe sharing that information with. Because they know they've witnessed you being able to change your language and being able to talk about gender diversity. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. 
Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, hormone harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I love that, and it's so helpful. And like, also, thanks for the permission to assign gender at birth. It, I, I don't know, I feel like it's been most of parenthood being like, am I doing the right thing? Have I made the right choice? And um, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Have I made the right choice? And so thank you personally for that permission. And also, um, I, I was just thinking about how, like, when you were sharing, I was like, oh, it's like just like getting more information about a human, right? Like even maybe as they get more information about themselves. And I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day who I um, had a sign, one of my least favorite qualities, um, is pretentiousness. And I have a huge complex with like wealth and rich. I grew up in a low income community and I'm one of five kids and, um, you know, mama waitress on weekends and all that. And I have a lot of stuff and baggage around wealth and rich folks, like my biggest trigger. And I was chatting with this human who I had, who now lives with, a great deal of wealth and who um, I had already just like assigned so many narratives about this human and then got to hear her backstory and she'd grown up in a very similar situation to myself and she grew up really low income and and without resources and all that and it then shifted, like I got to write a new narrative internally about this human where I was like, oh, I just, I got more information about her and got to make a shift. And like that story just came up for me when you were chatting. And I was like, similarly with like gender identity, it's that as we get more information, we make changes and there's a shift. And it doesn't mean that everything I ever thought about her before is wrong. It's that I was I was creating the narrative and doing the best I could with the information I had. And as I got more information, that could shift and how that might come up here. Absolutely. That's something I tend to go back to when people are people learn somebody's pronouns. And for whatever reason it is about this person, they have a hard time getting those pronouns right. Mm -hmm. And something that I find, I have found personally extremely helpful is instead of just trying to memorize someone's pronouns that you're having a hard time with, 
actually rewriting your internal narrative of them, shifting your mindset to align with who they're telling you they are, right? So it's not it's not looking at someone who you thought was a girl and a she, and now they're telling you, I'm actually non-binary and my pronouns are they, them. Not looking at that same person and still having this narrative that they're a girl, but their words are they, them, and how hard and confusing that might be, but actually really taking some time to internalize, this person is not a girl. I thought that they were a girl. That's what I thought for however many years I thought that. That's not true. So I'm going to rewrite that that still exists as my history of narrative about this person, but it's just not true. So I need to just honor who they're telling me they are. And once I'm able to, to sit with that, to really have some time with myself to rewrite that narrative, it helps me with my language and being intentional about getting the words correct moving forward. I love that. And I find that so helpful because we have categorized for reasons, right? Maybe it's like, for me, it was that name, Sarah, right? Where I was like, all right, she, her, or Sarah. That then it takes, it would be harder for me to be like, I'm just gonna know that they that their pronouns are they, them, just gonna know it now, than to sit and rewrite that. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it means taking down like, oh, Sarah doesn't mean she, her. Right. And like unboxing that is a part of the process for me. Um, interesting. Okay. I have a question. And if this is too, too vulnerable, you can say, I don't want to talk about it. Or I don't want to answer it. That's a hundred percent fine. Anytime. Um, as a transgender human, if you look back, you're in early childhood, you're birth to eight. What do you wish you had or what support or what Yeah, I guess, what do you wish you had? What might you, as you enter into parenthood, do differently in a way that you would have found supportive or helpful on your journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish that the adults around me would have A, not contributed and B, stopped when they saw other kids doing this, um, like breaking, breaking down stereotypes and assumptions related to gender meaning like pink is for girls and blue is for boys trucks are for boys and dolls are for girls certain types of shoes are for boys certain types of shoes are for girls like all these things that were so present in my childhood like my parents weren't directly teaching me these things, but I was learning them through TV and school and just living in this society. And I wish that I had people around disrupting that and letting me know that, oh, if you like those clothes, like we can go shop in the boys section, like no big deal. Clothes are for anyone. It's silly that they have these different signs. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would have been huge as well as visibility and representation mm-hmm. having books that included queer families mm-hmm. having pictures and posters of diverse gender expressions those are all things that would have allowed me to to humanize trans people and non-binary people and to know that we exist and that we're we're right in our existence and we belong. Yeah, to feel seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And like, thank you, because those feel approachable, <laughs> not overwhelming for me as a parent. Um, I'm like, okay, done. Can't do this. <laughs> uh, great. I immediately, for folks who are like, what books would that include? Maybe you have some you would recommend. I love the first conversation series. There are some great books in that series. Are there ones that you would recommend? Yeah, I have a few. There is the pronoun book. That's what it's called, the pronoun book by 
Chris Ayala Kronos. And that book, that's a board book. It, it can be introduced from the tiniest age. And it's so simple. It's just illustration, like beautiful illustrations of all different types of people. And they show everyone's pronouns. Um, so you have he looking a million different ways and she looking a million different ways and they oh. look a million different ways. Really cool. Um, I also really like What Are Your Words, which is also a book about pronouns by Catherine Locke. That one's more of a story. And I, the, sorry, I've heard you use that a few times, the like we can't know their gender or their words. And so for folks who, I, I realize that wasn't new to me, but if that's new to somebody, when you're saying their words, you're saying their pronoun words. Yes, usually. Yeah. So, right. Oftentimes with, when I'm talking with little kids, I will like intermix the language of pronouns and words. Like I want them to know the word pronouns and what it means, but words can sometimes feel just more approachable and it can also include like someone's name and, and other like gendered words, you know, Mr. Miss, Sir, Ma'am, things like that. Um, The other one, the other book I wanted to mention right now is They, She, He, Easy as ABC Mm. by Maya Gonzalez. So those are, that's another one that's really good for little, little ones. Um, And another one that just shows like a wide diversity of the way people look and the different words or pronouns that they might use. But there's a there's this bookshop called Out and About Bookshop that is actually this like mobile bookshop in the San Francisco Bay Area um, that has all LGBTQ children's books. And it's so cool. Although even if you're outside of the Bay Area, they have this online resource, which is all of these book lists for like different different age ranges like it gets very specific and there's some there's a there's a list for lgbtq spanish books and just it's an incredible resource so i'll get the link to you that maybe we can share with the audience 100 yeah we'll pop it in the blog post that's great thank you thank you it's helpful to have a jumping off point of like where do we go um and introducing teddy was one that we have on our bookshelf it's Teddy is transgender and it's, I would say a preschool age book, three to five, not a board book. So we'll get ripped in your house. If your child reads books like my child, uh, <laughs> very jazzed as he's reading books. Um, but that's another one that's on our bookshelf. Yeah. And that makes me think about this book called Peanut Goes for the Gold, which is also mm-hmm. like great for preschool and even older as well. That's written by Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Oh, fun. <laughs> and this is a book about uh, Peanut is a ha- um, hamster, I think. Ugh, I hope I'm not getting that wrong. But either a hamster or a guinea pig. Um, sure. But Kind of the same animal. Yeah, the Pretty book sure. has nothing to do with gender or pronouns. But Peanut's words are they, them. Mm. That's just their words throughout the whole book. And so it's a nice way to just kind of normalize using they, them about one singular person and just weaving it in seamlessly. Yeah. That's my favorite kind. Like I, um, have beef with books that are like, I have two moms and I'm like, can we just tell a story that Mm -hmm. has two moms? Like it still feels othering to me when it's like, here's all the other books. And then here's this one. Um, Absolutely. You know, I think, I think there's something really cool about like having some, having some tools, some children's books that are kind of like explicitly teaching, especially can also like help give us as adults, like um, scripts and, and language to use. And also I totally agree with you. Like, it's so important that like, that is not all that a lesbian couple is not just about like being two moms in a family, you know, and, (laughs) and (laughs) it it needs to be so um, out and about bookshop, one of their book lists, it, it says something like LGBTQ books that have, you know, have LGBTQ characters, but that are not at all about LGBTQ 
you know, identities. It just normalizes. We need, we need to see, children need to see LGBTQ people in stories yeah. just existing, right? Yeah, 100% and like apply that across the board. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. This is so helpful for me and your work in this space is so, so important. And I, I know I didn't grow up in a culture where this, I didn't, the culture that I grew up in is not the culture I'm raising my child in, um, in so many ways and in so many rad ways. And that takes education on my part and it takes reflection on my part and awareness for me as a parent, as a teacher. And thank you. Thank you for being a beautiful teacher in this space and for also setting up things that really do feel accessible. Like everything you said today, I'm like, okay, that feels achievable for me. (laughs) Um, And that's a breath of fresh air too. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you, connect with you, follow you, all the things? Thank you so much. That's very kind. I really enjoyed being in conversation with you and I hope we get to do it again sometime soon. Folks can reach me on Instagram at hey underscore Wes underscore. So that's H-E-Y underscore W-E-S underscore. Um, And my website is hey-wes.com. Those underscores and dashes are really important, which is silly, but they got to be there. So hey-wes.com or at hey underscore Wes underscore. And we'll link all that in the blog post if you're listening on the go or I often listen to podcasts as I'm doing the dishes or throwing in laundry, et cetera. You can always come back to voicesofavorivillage.com to access the blog post and get all the links to anything, including all of Wes's resources. Thank you, Wes. Thanks for being you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.